going a little bit off the beaten path or just letting something grow and blossom that maybe you didn't plan along the way, sometimes that's where you'll get your most joy and your most reward. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you overcome the challenges of making a major career change. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you figure out the steps you can take to move on in your career and make your professional ambitions a reality. In each episode, we'll be speaking with people who have an inspiring career story to share, learning from the brave leaps they took to pursue something new and helping you find the clarity, confidence, and courage to make your own brave decisions that improve your career and life. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to careerrelaunch.net, where you can listen to all the latest episodes and get more useful resources to help you navigate your own career journey. Today, my guest is going to share her story of relaunching her career from being a neurologist to a writer. We'll talk through making the most of the career situation you're in, even when it takes unexpected turns. Afterwards, I'll wrap up with my own thoughts on allowing your career to naturally evolve. On today's show, I'm excited to feature Anne Lipton. Anne is an MD, PhD neurologist and dementia specialist who transitioned from clinical practice and research to writing, speaking, and working on the medical advisory board of Caraloop, a healthcare startup specializing in helping people find the best in-home and long-term care solutions for elderly loved ones. She spoke with me from Vancouver, Canada. Hello, Anne. Well, thanks so much for joining us on Career Relaunch. I'm super excited to hear about your work and your life. Well, thank you for having me, Joseph. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So just to kick off, can you give us a brief overview of the work that you currently do as a writer and speaker? Sure. I am mainly working as a writer and I write mainly fiction at this point in time, a variety of different genres. In the past, I've written and published a number of nonfiction, uh, mainly academic books, and I do do occasionally some academic writing now as well. I also am a speaker, specifically on the topic of dementia, and I also am a member of a medical advisory board for healthcare provider and assistance organization called CareLoop, which helps people who have family members who are needing some sort of in-home or long-term care. Wow. Okay. So you've got a wide range of different experiences and roles right now. Out of curiosity with the fiction writing, can you give us an example of uh, the type of fiction that you write? Yeah, it really runs the gamut from picture books to what's called adult fiction, which would be something like a mystery writing. So I know you weren't always a writer and you weren't always a speaker. You started your career in clinical medicine. And I was wondering if you could just go back in time before your days as a writer and a speaker and just tell us a little bit more about your work and what your life was like as a neurologist. I was in clinical practice, but also mainly started my career in academia. And I've actually had two career transitions. I started out in academic medicine, which would include not only clinical practice, but research and teaching. Then later I was in private practice. My specialty in neurology is dementia and behavioral neurology. So I kind of straddle the worlds of neurology and psychiatry, working not just with patients, but also with families, particularly as the disease progressed. 
you're the first physician we've had on this podcast. And you're also the first neurologist we've had. What's the typical career trajectory for someone in neurology? The major two paths are academic, which would be working at medical school or other large medical center, and then private practice in which someone might set up their own clinic or join a group practice. You ultimately decided to walk away from your private practice. And I was just wondering if you could take me through what drove that decision for you. In a way, my hand was forced a bit in that we moved from the United States to Ireland. And Uh so going abroad, I couldn't automatically practice. And I was working on a couple books at the time and chapters, and I continued to write So it was very unfortunate because I actually had a position that would be privately paid. And so I was simply waiting for certification. And at this time, my husband then had accepted a job in Canada. So we were in Ireland for almost two years and I wasn't able to practice as a physician. What was that like for you to no longer be able to practice the craft that you'd spent so many years training for? Well, it was disappointing, especially when I knew that people were waiting so long to see a doctor. I really enjoy helping patients and families and getting to know their stories. And I think that's one thing that led me into writing is I, you know, I love stories and every patient tells a story and I like to listen to it. By working with people who have dementia and their families, I get to know the person very well. And I would usually work with them until the end of their life. And that was just really a special honor and privilege. And I missed helping patients and their families through a difficult diagnosis and adapting to that and trying to maximize and optimize their quality of life and, you know, just give them the best life and journey that they could have. But as one of my friends said, there was a lot of green tape. So so unfortunate. (laughs) Right. And then what happened next? Did you think about returning to clinical medicine full time and reopening up a practice when you moved over to Canada? I couldn't practice independently because in Canada, although there is a shortage of specialists, if you're coming from another country, you have to practice under supervision for two years. Oh, right. Okay. The situation as it would have been set up would not really have worked very well with my specialty of dementia because I would have just been reimbursed for each patient that I saw. And I would have had to do a lot of extra work, filling out papers for research and and frankly, a lot of other tasks that I wouldn't have necessarily been reimbursed for doing. And so by that time, I had written my first novel, and I really enjoyed writing. And so I would have liked to go back to helping patients and families. I don't want to be working for free. Right, yeah. Or if I'm going to be working for free, then choose, you know, what I want to do. And I really have enjoyed the writing. And, you know, I've really found a passion for it. I love doing it. And also the speaking and working on the medical advisory board has really helped me reach a lot of people and help a lot of people working in the clinic. 
I can only see one patient, one family at a time. It sounds like the circumstances didn't really allow you to return to clinical medicine in the way that was going to work for you. So you switched over to an alternative plan, which was the writing and the speaking. How did you start doing that? Because I know a lot of people who they want to get involved in writing either as in a full-time basis or as a way to either express some of their side interests or just because it's a passion of theirs. How did you start with that? Right. Well, I've always done some writing and particularly even in medicine, my reports are quite detailed narratives because of the nature of seeing patients with dementia. And it's what we call a clinical diagnosis. And much of the diagnosis is made through the history. And so I got to hear many, many people's stories and I would document these stories. That was part of my medical report. Mm -hmm. And so I, I always enjoyed doing that. And I did other fiction writing as well. When we moved to Ireland, as I said, I was writing several books. These were dementia-based books and, and chapters. But being in Dublin, it's a very inspiring historic city. And of course, mm -hmm. many novelists have come out of Dublin and Ireland. And, you know, what else is there to do on a rainy day in Dublin? <laughs> but, but right. So there are a number of great online resources. I found a wonderful writing community on Twitter, also some Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. And I've actually met some of my critique partners. Critique partners are other writers who write in your genre and they critique your work and you critique theirs. And I've met a number of them. They live all over the world. Some of them I've actually gone on and met in person, but you don't necessarily have to to find a compatible critique partner and to find someone like-minded. So, you know, I really, I, I think it's a bit of inspiration that got me on the path, but mm -hmm. it was also where I was and that was inspiring, what I was experiencing and then what I made of it. So do what you can with what you have and where you are. What do you think was the toughest part of making this transition from clinical medicine into writing? One is just in terms of the schedule, when you're a busy physician, you're seeing patients all day, writing prescriptions, doing paperwork, and then it seems like the days sometimes don't end. You go home, you get paged, you do more paperwork, very long hours, very busy, but you have a very structured day. As a writer, you have to be a self-starter, self-motivated, and set your own schedule. Now, I will tell you, having done both jobs, I often work equally long and equally as hard as a writer, hmm. but I don't have, you know, a schedule necessarily like I would patients or someone saying, Dr. Lipton, your next patient's here. Right. It's up to me to be that self-starter and to be that writer. And also, in terms of going out and getting resources, well, there are a number of resources on the internet, in books, available locally in writing groups, but one has to really reach out for those. It's a nice background as a doctor and a researcher. I'm very used to researching different topics, so I have a good basis for that. But if someone is starting out and they don't have that basis of research, that's a skill you have to learn as a writer as well as how to research. The other thing I was thinking about as I'm listening to your story here is at least on the surface, it would seem to me that being a neurologist is very different than being a writer. Has there been anything in particular that has been surprising to you about transitioning into being a writer, having been a neurologist? So one thing that I guess was surprising is 
not too surprising given my personality and what I like, but just how the solitary nature of it would affect me. So what I actually found was local writer groups, or there's a program called NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, which is actually international, but it's something that occurs each November. And there's an online community as well as local meetups, and also just local critique groups. And also, as I mentioned, the Twitter community of writers, different writing contests. I actually joined Twitter so I could participate in some of the different writing contests. And it turned out that was very surprising. I joined it to enter writing contest and I ended up with it becoming so much of a community of fellow writers and friends. I've learned so much. It's been so instructive but it's also been very supportive. So the bottom line, the answer to the most surprising thing is how much the social media can teach you and connect you, really. So it sounds like the writing is working out quite well for you. And I've just got to ask you this question because it's kind of been on the tip of my tongue. I know that you mentioned that you really enjoyed your work as a neurologist also. How much do you think about or do you ever think about returning to being a clinical neurologist? I do think about it some in that I really enjoy working with the patients and families, but it's actually interesting how many people I've been able to help through my books, through this healthcare startup, CareLoop, and through my speaking. So I've been able to reach a lot of people that way without necessarily having to deal with the headaches and hassles of the administrative sorts of tasks, which I, as you can tell from this interview that, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't enjoy those. Weren't your things. favorite things, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing is helping the patients and the families. Yeah. And it's actually quite enjoyable to have found a way to channel that goal of helping people and connecting with people and doing that through my writing and my speaking and serving on the medical advisory board. And when you look back on your career change and what's something that you wished you had known that you now know? I wish I knew that you're braver than you think. So I was talking with one of my friends and you can imagine as neurologist, I don't tend to do high-risk activities like motorcycle riding or <laughs> right. horseback riding or downhill skiing. Uh -huh. Certainly, if I did any of those things, I would wear a helmet. Uh -huh. So I had mentioned to one of my friends, I said, well, you know, I'm a risk-averse person. And this is someone who's known me for many years. And she said, are you kidding? And she's like, I think you're very brave. You know, you went off and you moved. And I hadn't been to Ireland before we moved there making the choice not to practice as a physician, although I'd been in school for it many years and I'd trained for it for many years, that did require a lot of courage. And some people may still question my decision, but I enjoy what I do. And I tell people now to write your passion. You know, some people say, write what you know. I say, well, write what you love, because if you love it, then you're going to really enjoy it. And others, your readers, will get that from your story, that sense of enjoyment. And if you enjoy it, you won't mind researching it. If we all only wrote what we knew, stories would be rather boring. We need to write what we love and what we can imagine, and mm -hmm. the rest will follow. So I guess the thing that I would 
tell my former self is get yourself out there, be brave. You're braver than you think you are to try new experiences. Was there any advice along the way that you received that was especially helpful in keeping you on track with this change? Some of the best advice is basically to do what's right for you and you can't concern yourself with necessarily the opinions of others or the expectations of others or society or even your own preordained expectations. Do you have any advice for other aspiring writers out there? Self-doubt can be part of any creative process. And what I would say is you have to embrace that doubt. You have to take it and make your own and say, how can this doubt make me better in my creative endeavor or whatever it is that I've set out to do. In writing, we talk about plotters and pantsers, or George R. Martin, who wrote the Game of Thrones series. He talks about gardeners and architects. And gardeners can plant a seed and tend it. They don't really know what's going to come out of the ground. Architects might plan things out, but then they have to work with whatever soil that they're given. And so no matter how much you plan, sometimes you run into things unexpectedly. So as a writer, one thing that's really good to learn is no matter how much you plan something out, to let yourself go where the characters take you, where the story takes you. Because it's sometimes following them down that rabbit hole that will lead you to the most important breakthroughs in your story. And so I would kind of give that advice to any aspiring writer or person is to go off that beaten path, plan what you can, and tend your garden. But sometimes the reward for going a little bit off the beaten path or just letting something, an idea or an action grow and blossom that maybe you didn't plan along the way, sometimes that's where you'll get your most joy and your most reward. Just to wrap up, let's talk about what you're doing right now. I understand you're on the medical advisory board for the healthcare startup that you mentioned earlier. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, Caraloop, it's spelled C-A-R-I-L-O-O-P, is a healthcare startup that is devoted to helping family members find care for their loved ones, especially elderly loved ones who may have needs for care in the home, which might actually help to keep them at home or have needs for long-term care or even to move out of their home to receive care. So the idea of CareLoop is to provide people with a care coach who can help them with all different features of care, whether that's joining a support group for an illness, finding care in the home. And a lot of people aren't aware of the resources that are out there. So CareLoop is really to try to help people with accessing the resources easily and saving them a lot of time and hassle and headache. And it's also for people who just want to plan care for the future. That's something that a lot of us don't think about. It's rolling out and based in Dallas, but the hope is that it will spread beyond Dallas. And many people have used it who live beyond the environs of Dallas as well. But it's very exciting to me because, again, it gets back to the idea of helping people, helping them 
live the best life that they can and trying to reduce stresses and burdens, especially on caregivers. Well, speaking of resources and speaking of caregivers, I know that you've written quite a few books on dementia and Alzheimer's, including the Common Sense Guide to Dementia for Clinicians and Caregivers, which I saw I was looking at the Amazon reviews. I know one geriatric care manager called it by far the best and most useful book for caregivers on dementia. So we'll capture that in the show notes also. So thanks so much, Anne, for sharing your career change journey from medicine to writing, giving us a glimpse into your transitions, and then also just reminding us of the importance of allowing yourself to go off the beaten path. So thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Joseph. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Anne's thoughts on making the most of your situation and doing what you love, not just what you know. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'll be sharing my own thoughts on allowing your career to naturally evolve. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today, and I'll wrap up with a simple challenge for you to help you move forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to go back to something Anne talked about, this idea of being a gardener or an architect, which I interpreted to mean the difference between being a doer or a planner. Now, she was talking about writers, but I thought this concept of gardeners or architects could also serve as a useful metaphor for your approach to your own career. Now, when Anne was describing the difference, I immediately identified myself as being an architect. I don't know if you've ever done one of those Myers-Briggs tests that tell you whether you're an introvert or extrovert or a planner versus someone who figures things out as you go. But I've definitely taken that test a couple times in different companies as part of team building activities. And whenever I have, I've consistently ended up being the most extreme planner on my teams. So as you can probably imagine, when it comes to times where I've had to make career moves that deviated from the plans I'd laid out for myself, let's just say it made me really uncomfortable and very stressed out. Similar to what Anne described about moving geographies as a result of her husband's job opportunities, I've actually made similar moves myself that weren't part of my grand plan. For example, a few years ago, I left my stable corporate brand marketing job in the Bay Area to move to the UK to be with my then girlfriend, now wife. I didn't have a solid plan in place. All I knew was that I wanted to be in the same city as her and that I would commit to really just hustling to find a new marketing job once I arrived in London to avoid having a huge gap in my resume. Now, although it was definitely a struggle for me to make that move at the time, when I look back on it now with a few years of hindsight, I can really see that allowing myself to step off that beaten path to move to a new country gave me the opportunity to work in a completely different sector, which broadened my marketing skill set experience a whole new work culture to expand my international experience, eventually start my own business and gain a richer perspective on the world by living in another country for a while. Now I'm sharing this because sometimes it's really uncomfortable to not have a plan. Definitely true for me. But what I've learned is that if you can let go a little bit and allow your career to ebb and flow naturally, you can sometimes stumble upon something really engaging and meaningful. And you might just be surprised just how resourceful you can be if you're willing to work hard to find your way. In almost every one of these cases where I stepped away from the plans I had in my head and let go of those preconceived notions of how I thought my career should look, it always ended up allowing me to uncover experiences that were even more fulfilling. Now, this reminds me of a quote from Gloria Steinem. 
Without leaps of imagination or dreaming, we lose the excitement of possibilities. Dreaming, after all, is a form of planning. So are you an architect or a gardener? When it comes to your career change, have you been spending too much time planning and not enough time doing? Is it about time you shifted your approach? My challenge to you is to err on the side of action. What's one specific action you could take today to move forward on that idea that's been sitting in the back of your head, even if you don't have every single step 100% mapped out yet? Now, one thing I'm planning to do in upcoming episodes is to feature voices of listeners like you on the show. So if you want to share the action you've decided to take, if you have feedback on the show, or if you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me at joseph at careerrelaunch.net, or you can also leave me a voicemail at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 14, where you can also find a summary of the key ideas and links mentioned today. While you're there, you can register to be a member of my free career hub, where you'll find some worksheets and tools to help you stay on track with your goals. That's careerrelaunch.net slash episode 14. Thanks so much for subscribing to Career Relaunch and a special thanks again to Ann Lipton for joining us today. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington. Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll see you next time.